like your dress. Who made it for you? Uh, I made it myself. Really? Who, who are you? I'm Miranda, the kennel master's daughter. May I? Wonderful. The stitching. Who taught you? My mother. I'm sorry for what happened to her. Thank you. It's good that she taught you. It was a gift. Now, every time you wear something you made, you can remember her. I'd rather have a mother. I know. <laughs> it's not the same. Still, it's good to remember. Remember the way things were. I almost forgot. There's something else to help you remember. This week on the Sound On Sight Game of Thrones podcast, we're talking about Season 5, Episode 5, Kill the Boy, written by Brian Cogman and directed by Jeremy Videswell. We'll be right back after this. Hello and welcome back to the Sound On Sight Game of Thrones podcast. This is Kate Kalsik, TV editor of Sound On Sight. I'm joined as ever by my wonderful co-host, general editor, general editor, co-creator, all of that good stuff, uh, Mr. Ricky D. I, Ricky, I always mess up your title. I can't ever remember what it is. Uh, what's your actual title? Um, I guess people refer to me as editor-in-chief. Editor-in-chief. Awesome guy. So Ricky, awesome guy, official title, TM. How's, how's it going this week? I'm great. It's, I'm glad to see Ollie back in this episode. He has a few lines of dialogue. We've got to talk about him. Yep, yep. Uh, I thought that was particularly delightful when he got just, you know, when he showed up in the previously on. I was like, ah, oh, it's going to be an Ollie week. We'll talk about him on the podcast. Um, now, joining us this week to talk about Season 5, Episode 5, Kill the Boy, uh, one of our fabulous contributors at Sound on Sight as well as, of course, the AV Club, Les Chapel. Welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me. Now, Les, are you up on this whole Ollie uh, situation? Uh, well, I think Ollie's the best, but I don't know what the situation is. Now, Ricky is is not on Team Ollie. He has a feeling that Ollie is going to rise up against Jon Snow. Is is that a accurate, you know, summation, Ricky? Well, for about four weeks now, or has it been three weeks? I've had this. This feeling like my spidey sense was telling me that Ollie cannot be trusted. I don't know why I have like the spidey sense. It happens all the time on Walking Dead po- uh, on our Walking Dead podcast that Kate and I host and my predictions usually come true. I don't know what happens with Ollie in the book. I haven't read the books, but I just had this weird feeling that there's something strange about this character because he killed Egrit. And I was like, if I had to put myself in the head of the writers choosing this specific character to kill Jon Snow's love of his life, there's got to be a reason. And then I found that the episode was called Kill the Boy. And then, you know, we actually get to see him in this episode. And clearly he's unhappy with Jon Snow's decisions. So I'm pretty sure that I am right. And all he's going to be a danger to Jon Snow. So you're so you think he's basically Judas Iscariot? Pretty much. Uh, yeah. Starting off with a pun, so <laughs> we're off to a great start today. <laughs> oh no, it's it's uh, we I at least if if we've had listeners reach out with their thoughts on this, they haven't been cc'ing me on Twitter because I I want to know what y'all think about Ali. So you know, drop us a line. I have a question, okay? Because you, I, I believe, Les, you've read the books, right? Uh, I it's so, that's sort of a funny thing because I have read three and a half of the books so i have read the first three and about halfway through a feast for crows before i sort of started checking out on it 
And at this point, I'm not, I've, I've made a decision that I'm not going to be reading the books for the foreseeable future, because this is the first time that I've been watching Game of Thrones, and I have absolutely no idea what's going to happen, and it's been pretty excellent. I've loved playing the game the last four seasons of picking out, oh, what did they change? Oh, did this change work, or did this change not work? But frankly, this season, that extra thrill of not knowing what's going on is it's really helping my viewer experience or or maybe this is just a much better season than previous seasons which could also be true wow okay i think this is my least favorite season but i just want to first of all say that we give a warning to our listeners that we are not going to talk about the books or spoil any events from the books no you're ahead of me ricky um now we've already discussed your relationship with the books and, and lesses. I have read the books, but it's been a while, listeners, so I may get a few things wrong. Um, but n- nonetheless, they need not fear spoilers. We will only be talking about what's happened on the series up to this point, including this episode, Kill the Boy. Uh, nothing for future episodes, nothing for like the promo for future episodes or anything like that, and nothing that has not yet happened in the books. Um, but we will have plenty of discussion when it comes up of how things have been changed Again, if it's not spoilery. So this is a spoiler-safe zone as long as you're caught up on the series. Mm-hmm. Caveats and uh, spoiler alerts taken care of. So let's dive in with this episode. And I-, I think that's an interesting place to start off, Les, because, I mean, listeners, even diehard fans of the book, um, viewers of the series and diehard fans of the book, are getting to the point where they get to have a bit of that experience. Because this week, we go to Valyria. And that's certainly not something that's in the book. Um, we're, we're getting this new stuff with Sansa, which is also not in the book. So um, for me, it's been an interesting experience because certain things I can see clearly where they're headed because they, they are adhering to the, the, the narrative that uh, we've come to know and you know that, that has been laid out in the book. But other things are completely different, and it is, it is a little weird. Hold on a second. How is Valyria not in the books? It's mentioned, but you don't. They don't go there. Oh, okay. Okay. People have gone there, but it's off screen. Yeah, and we've sort of known. We know Valeria is a thing because that's what ice, what ice and Longclaw are made of. That's Valerian steel. Yeah, it's like um, Atlantis or something. It's like this lost city that was once great, uh, only you know it actually existed, and. Um, there are relics from Valyria, but it's some the doom of Valyria happened. We don't really know what that is. Something bad happened, and so it destroyed the city, and no one can live there. It's like radioactive or something, where people had to leave. And um, it's basically like it's like it's the Chernobyl of Westeros. Yeah, and, oh, and, and so geez. that's like the, so House Targaryen was not one of the main houses in Valyria, but they were they weren't like one of the top dogs, but they were a powerful house, um, semi powerful house in Valyria, and they left. There were dragon riders and uh, dragon lords in Valyria, and the Targaryens left, escaped the doom, and then, you know, took over Westeros. Sorry, this was the original home of the Targaryens, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so, and it's, okay, it's funny because you mentioned Atlantis, but how so? Is it, like, a city underwater? No, just this notion of it being, like, a city of legend, and, like, we don't really know, you know, like, they talked about it being super advanced, but... That technology has all been lost, um, you know, that kind of a thing. It's like Aztec ruins. Well, because the one thing that Tyrion says in this episode uh, that made me sort of like aware of how amazing this place was is that um, he talks about how advanced it was in terms of like the way they would build uh, their buildings and the architecture, et cetera, et cetera. And then I was thinking about the Valyrian steel, which you just mentioned, Kate. And Valyrian steel comes from Valyria, clearly, right? So it's not only that they were more advanced in or in architecture and building these huge buildings and 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 I don't I don't know what else they were advanced in, but it's also like in in like in their weapons because Valyrian steel is the most prized. What's the word? Minerals, I guess. What am I? What's the word I'm looking for? As I understand it, and again, I could be wrong on this, but the way I understand it is that Valyrian steel it was just like a different method for forging steel that makes it much more powerful. It's an, uh, the, I think alloy is the word you're looking for. Okay. Alloy, thank you, yes. Yeah, and and so they've lost that technology of how to do it, and so now that's why Valyrian steel is so prized is because it's so f- effective, and they can melt it down and re- reshape it, but they can't make new, so there's a very limited resource. There's only so much Valyrian steel in the world. 
Yeah, hence the comment that Jamie had to Tywin about how long have you been trying to buy a family's ancient Valyrian steel? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, okay, so here's the thing. So you say they've never been to Valyria in the book, but my favorite scene in this episode is when they're sailing through the ruins of old Valyria and they are reciting the poem. Like, it's moments like this that I absolutely love and adore. And to me, that's the standout moment of this episode. It's such an unexpected moment of beauty. And and again, Tyrion's, I think, my favorite character, most likely everyone's favorite character. And it never fails. It doesn't matter who you pair him up with. He's always a highlight reel. You know, be it with Varys and or... Uh, who, do you, who was he paired with last season? Braun, right? Braun. Braun. Yeah. Mean, how can you forget about the Braun, about the Braun of it all? Well, yeah. and, and Pod, too. But here's the thing. This is a character who we love to watch specifically because we love to watch him talk and outsmart everyone else. And it's all about speech and dialogue and the way his character is written. And in this episode, he's speechless because he finally sees the dragon. Strogon. Sorry. Yeah, and how... how how amazing was that shot? We, I mean, for this this is the promotional poster for the whole season is Tyrion on a boat seeing a dragon. But to see Tyrion, but I mean, exactly what you said, Ricky, to see Tyrion struck speechless by it. And it's and the, the fact that, again, they're taking advantage of so much more CGI budget this season that the dragons look and feel like living, breathing creatures. Just that whole moment. Uh, I was watching it with a group of friends, and we all basically exploded when that happened. <laughs> I found myself sort of regretting after Tyrion washed up on shore, he didn't go. Was that a bleeping dragon? <laughs> and and it's it's amazing because Drogon is a symbol of what Jorah lost. You know, he wants to get back to Daenerys. He wants to be by her side, and seeing the dragon fly over reminds us of his previous journey, why he got exiled. But then it's also a symbol of what's to come for Tyrion. And again, the idea of finally seeing Tyrion team up with Danny, hopefully, and be sort of, I think, her advisor. And I don't think Tyrion's actually ever believed in dragons and or magic or, and or anything supernatural up until that point. Correct me if I'm wrong. Like, he's heard the stories. No, I think you're right. I mean, there's sort of the flickers when he's on the wall that he's not discounting what people say about the fact that there is something back, but something past the wall. But he, but it, there, there's just an overwhelming streak of pragmatism that runs through Tyrion. He made he loves a good story, but he loves a good story in the sense of entertaining somebody, not because he actually believes anything in the story. Well, he's also a prideful character and so it's easier for him to believe that these are simple people who saw something they didn't understand and explained it as dragons then you know whereas it was probably just you know trick by some you know traveling i don't know entertainer or something um and so when he's faced with it himself that's just completely different you know what else is great is last week we had the speech with stannis and his daughter shireen and he talks to his daughter about her disease and how he didn't want to give up on Shireen because she had the um, the grayscale disease. Thank you. And it was perfect timing that they put that speech a week before we get this episode because they could have put that just about anywhere in the season or even in previous seasons, right? Yeah, but because- it's a reminder of what the disease is, what it can do. And it also was a great scene between Stannis and Shireen, which we talked about last week. But in this episode, we actually get that stunning sequence in which Tyrion and um, and Jorah are actually attacked by the stone men. It was and it was that was you. I mean, there was the foreshadowing last week, but we also had foreshadowing two weeks ago as well when there was, uh, I think, the preacher rabble rouser or whatever you want to uh, whatever she was uh sort of preaching the gospel of mo- the mother of dragons she mentioned the, she specifically mentioned the stone men in her speech so i like the they they were laying a lot of groundwork for this scene and it was pretty it, they paid it off fantastically I, I, the moment the awe of it when the awe of seeing the dragon and then off camera you see someone just jump into the water and disappear and that's when you know oh, this is going to turn very, very quickly. Yeah, that really worked well. But I do have to ask, does anybody care about Jorah having, you know, Grayscale being infected? Because I 
I kind of feel bad, but I don't. He hasn't done a lot recently in these two episodes besides just kind of be mopey. Yeah, I, th- I think I would feel I think I would feel worse about it because I mean, for a long time, Jorah has been one of my favorite, uh, particular favorite character of mine for the last few uh, seasons. But yeah, he's been really emo since uh, leaving since Daenerys kicked him out. I mean, part part of that could be proximity to uh, Tyrion and the fact that he's not bantering with Tyrion because I mean that's why we love everybody. That's why we loved Bronn and Tyrion so much. They had a rapport. And while it wouldn't make sense for them to manufacture a rapport between the two, he, he he has come off as a bit of a pill lately. That being said, you see that and you're like, oh, especially because, as we mentioned last week, there was the whole talk of how long it took sh- them to find someone who could actually cure Shireen. That you see this, it's the equivalent of getting bitten and walking dead. There's not a, There's no happy ending coming after this. Yeah, I think I lost interest in his character once he was separated from Daenerys. And although he's headed back to reunite with Daenerys, I don't really think she needs him anymore. And so I don't think the show needs him anymore. I'm not as disappointed in him being infected by this disease as much as I am. Sorry, I'm not as let down that he was infected by this disease so much as I am let down that Sir Barristan is actually dead. Sir Barristan Selmy is dead, which doesn't make any sense because here's the thing, okay? Correct me <laughs> if I'm wrong. In, rest in peace, Barristan the Bold. Now, has a non-book reader, correct me if I'm wrong, but I can swear I've heard several times throughout the five seasons that people have talked about how great of a warrior this man is. And we finally see him in battle, I believe, for the very first time. Or is it the second time? Anyways. Um, and he's dead. <laughs> He's just dead. Like I was like, really, guys? He kicked was... ass, though. He he was he was an amazing warrior in that scene. But you get stabbed enough times, you're gonna die. I I was actually glad. He he was outnumbered and he was, uh, he was outnumbered and outfought. And that's like I think one of the things about Game of Thrones. Uh, we saw this with Jamie. Like we saw this with Jamie Lannister. Jamie Lannister was at one point the greatest swordsman in the realms, and now he freely admits he can't even hold his own in a duel unless he somehow happens to hold his gold hand up at exact right moment to catch a sword. Yeah, and I I completely understood um, when we were talking about it last week that you guys felt like. Um... Ricky and also our guest last week, Simon Howell, felt like if we were going to see him be killed, they'd make sure we knew he was dead. But I was glad, I mean, as much as I did really like the character and I will miss him on the show, I was glad that we saw him get stabbed a bunch and then Grey Worm collapse in an alley and there's nobody around. I'm glad there wasn't some magical solution. Like, didn't literally be magical, but like some contrived solution to, to make him not, in fact, dead. And I like the fact that, it, that that we saw great that Grey Worm survived because if it had killed both of them, that would have been well, easiest phrase there, overkill. But the fact that there is someone who did survive the attack, and frankly, I'm glad that it was Grey Worm who survived because uh, he there's and there's more interesting there's a lot of interesting things going on with that character and his role in the Unsullied and his relationship with Misandri. Whereas Barristan, I mean, was there for gruff stoic advice and i don't know that's, if, if we... that's the problem that's the problem is the fact that we've only seen him in battle one time and he dies in battle and all we've seen from his character is him talking to daenerys about what he thinks that she should do and he's her advisor and i'm like well where's this great warrior that everyone talks about because the first time we see him in battle he dies and i think that's disappointing the problem like i was talking to my coworker about this and the problem i think i have with game of thrones right now is I think it's all good and well when a show is not afraid to kill off major characters, you know, going all the way back to season one when Ned Stark dies in episode nine and it was a game changer and everyone lost their shit, right? But the thing is now it's like, it's like the fact that anyone could die at any time and the fact that they killed off so many great characters like Tyrion, like King Joffrey, you know, Rob Stark, Lady Stark, you name it. There's been so many characters that have died. I'm like, you're getting to the point now where there, like, there's so many great characters that I love to watch on screen and they're no longer there. So how can this season beat, for me, as enjoyable as previous seasons? Because right now, I don't think there's a great villain in the show. Most of the Lannisters are turned good and or they're trying to get us to sympathize with the Lannisters to some degree. And so who do we have? We have the Bolton. The Boltons are no... The Boltons cannot compare to how amazing and menacing and smart and charismatic and cool that the Lannisters were like a, a character like Tyrion, for example, or when Jamie was bad, uh, sorry, Tywin. Like, 
And it doesn't like the, the season so far for me, I think that's my disappointment with the season is it doesn't have that. And one last example I'll give you um, Marjorie's brother who is in prison right now. What is his name again? Sir Loris. Sorry? Sir Loris. Knight of okay, Flowers. Sir Loris, right. Wasn't he like this amazing knight? Didn't we see him in action? Wasn't he like the greatest knight in King's Landing at the time? Like in last week's episode, he gets arrested. And I was thinking about this. I'm like, he basically got arrested. He didn't put up a fight. He didn't show that he was like the greatest knight in King's Landing right now. He just sort of like got manhandled. Like, I'm just like, like this is the problem I'm having with the show right now. Like these characters are supposed to be so great like such great warriors and, and so on and so forth. But then like two weeks later, they're not. Well, Sir Loris is known. He wins all the jousts. He's yeah, he's supposed to be quite the badass, but specifically with the jousting. Um, but I think he also cho- was trying, you know, he chose not to just kill everybody. Yeah. Um, and then there's also, and there's the fact that like, again, both he and Sir Barristan, they were outnumbered. There were mob, there were mobs after them. And, Frankly, that's sort of that's something that's sort of running through the season. You've got the Sons of the Harpy over in Marine. You've got the uh, the Sparrow. Uh, I'm blanking the on sparrows. The yeah, I know. But look, hear me out, okay? Compare that scene last week to say any battle scene that featured Tyrion in the past, in which Tyrion's been involved in two major battle sequences and survived, and, and got over... knocked out at the start of the first one, so we didn't actually see the battle. Right, but he survived, and or the attack on the wall in season four when they were clearly outnumbered by wildlings, and most of them survived, including Jon Snow. And yeah. I'm just all I'm trying to say is this guy's a great warrior, and he's dead, and to me that was disappointing. And I, I hear what you're saying, but the difference between something like the wall and the what we, the fight we saw last week is that there were two of them versus everyone at the wall. Yes, they were significantly outnumbered, but they had the wall. And they also had their brothers in arms, so it wasn't just the two of them. And also with Loris, the other thing I would say is, of course, he was surprised. He was, they, you know, they just went and arrested him when he didn't necessarily have his sword on him and all of that, too. I don't know how it's like in the book, but for me, what I see is I see the writers trying to find a way or a reason for Daenerys to sort of, like, wake up. So his death sparks a fire in her. And so to me, his, him dying was just a reason to move her character forward. And the, the the weird thing about this season, and this is why it's one of my least favorite seasons, probably my least favorite season so far, and granted wow. we're only halfway in, but, but hear me out, it seems like the show is moving really, really fast, and yet it seems like it's not going anywhere. Like, it's episode five, Sansa is still in the north preparing to marry the Boltons, not much has changed with Sansa Stark. Jon Snow is still at the wall deciding what he's going to do because he still has not yet made it, made a decision. Uh, Cersei Lannister is clueless as to how to resolve her problems over at King's Landing. So she's forming these weird alliances with like the High Sparrow, but nothing's really changed. Like, look at all of the characters. Like, it's like they're setting up all these pieces, but nothing's really changed. And so it's weird because I feel like they're speeding through this plot. But yet we haven't seen much of a change and we're five episodes in like like Tyrion's still traveling to go meet Daenerys. Daenerys is still trying to decide how to solve her problems and deal with these rebels and and slavery. And if she's going to bring back old traditions, it's five episodes in already. Yeah. But first of all, this is a show that loves its slow build to a dramatic payoff at the end of the season. So that's normal. And also lots of things have changed. Right. Are you kidding I, me? Yeah, like so, yeah, I know. I'm. I, I don't know. I just honestly, I, I can't get behind that argu- the argument that this is the weakest of the seasons because I honestly do feel like I'm enjoying this season a lot more. And maybe, maybe that is the the fact that I don't know any of what's going on. But I mean, I mean, I'm enjoying the pieces as they get moved. Like I enjoy Sansa and Littlefinger. I enjoy Podrick and Brienne. I'm enjoying Jamie and Bronn. I'm enjoying Arya over in there. Oh, and what? I think honestly, that may have been one of my problems with. I didn't like this episode as much that as the last few because it was missing. Like there was no Arya and there was no Jamie. So I don't know if the, this one didn't click for me as well on that regard. But I don't know that where I enjoy. I'm enjoying the process of watching these pieces get moved around a lot more than I have when I'm just like, okay, where is this? Okay, I know where's what's coming next. How are they going to get to this point? Okay, I just have to. I just have to step in really quick and just make one thing clear. I do enjoy Game of Thrones still, and I, I am enjoying this season. It's my least favorite season in a show that I think it's one of the greatest shows I've ever seen. 
But for me, I'm still trying to be a little critical here on the podcast so we can, you know, have some sort of an interesting discussion. For me, like, this is my least favorite season for many reasons I've already stated. And I'll say another reason, like you mentioned Arya, like you're enjoying Arya's journey. We've only seen Arya arrive at a house. I mean, we haven't even seen Arya since she had like that episode in which nothing again happens to her. Like she buries Needle because we know she's going to get back Needle eventually. So like, you know what I mean? This is what I mean. Like the show is, I understand setting the pieces and Kate, you're right that the show's always done this in the past where it, le- it it's leading to a big payoff, usually in episode nine. But I just kind of feel like I, I'm just like, I just, I just kind of like, I don't know, maybe I'm just missing some of my favorite characters. I just feel like apart from some of the amazing exchanges of dialogue that we get mostly from Tyrion, I just kind of feel like I'm sort of underwhelmed each and every single week. Um, what I'll say about characters changing and what's been actually like what has actually happened. Um, you, you mentioned Sansa. We've what we're seeing with Sansa this season is we're seeing her take ownership and agency in her situation. We're watching her stand on her own. We see here here. This is the first time we've seen her away from Littlefinger in quite a long time. She's getting her bearings and she's. Uh, she's returning home. That's that's a significant uh, moment for her. And watching, you know, her choose the devil she knows over Brienne, you know, the last couple, the last week, or the, you know, before, and like that. That's what we've been seeing with her. We've been seeing her step forward into the Game of Thrones. We saw mm-hmm. we saw the the tease of that last season when she, you know, does her. Uh, uh, Oh, what's her name? Sleeping Beauty. Maleficent. Maleficent. When she has her Maleficent moment last season. But we're, that's what we've been seeing from her this season. And I think that's a significant process. With Jon Snow, we watched him become the Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. And we're watching him grow into a, a leadership role that he didn't necessarily expect. And deal with, you know, how he's going to, as the episode title, you know, the line that gives the episode's title says, kill the boy and become the man really become the leader the, the Night's Watch needs him to be. With Danny, that's an arc, a corner of the show that has long struggled to <laughs> make anything happen. Okay, but yeah. this week, for example, we get her, her, you know, embracing an element of her father's or, or uh, leadership style, the Mad King. And, her, and that element, fire. Yeah. Uh, as well as agree, agree to marry and I'm curious what you guys think of that because for me, I was just like yelling at my TV oh about my God. it because yeah. Danny does not need some schmucky guy by her side. I I need my girl power on this show. That's what people do in this in this universe. There are a lot of there are so many marriages that are made not out of affection but are made out of political necessity. And yeah, but this is Danny. She does her own thing. She knows this guy. I mean, she honestly, I would actually sort of, I would sort of equate it to uh, Lucrezia's marriage in the, in season three of the Borgias, where her father's trying to marry her off to a various noble family. She keeps finding ways to sabotage it. And then she basically picks the one noble who she can, who she is able to trick and lead around like a stray dog because he has no clue of what's going on under behind her head. And so I think that's honestly why that's one of the reasons why she picked this guy whose name I don't know how to pronounce and will not even try to pronounce that this is, it's a marriage of convenience for her rather than being, she's not, and it's a better marriage for her. And then the circumstances she found herself in with Khal Drogo, she's not being sold off. She's making the choice to cement an alliance here. And I can also see no way that this changes anything that she does, because I would be very surprised if she doesn't have uh, Dario Naharis uh, around on the side. Oh, my God. Okay, first of all, his name is Hisdar Zolarik. Um, Second of all, I also do not like the character of Dario um, I think you clued into one of the reasons why I'm not too fond of this season, Kate, because I'm not really fond of anything that has to do with Marine and or Danny this season, despite the fact that she has three dragons. I will agree with you, and I've said this in the first four podcasts of this season, that I find Jon Snow far more interesting than he's been all throughout the first four seasons. And I've always been a Jon uh, Snow supporter, even though sometimes I call him Jon Snark. But anyways, um, uh, and I... And I also do agree that I, for once, do like 
Sansa's storyline. Like, I actually like her character this season, and I like the fact that, you know, she, I, I kind of feel like she's, she's grown up, and even, even if that means she's a little darker, and maybe she's perhaps turning into sort of like, you know, she's kind of like, like Arya, where she's becoming a darker person, and maybe she has some, some tricks up her sleeve, and, is, she, you know, she's not innocent anymore, but I do like her storyline, but still... I still think that this season so far, five episodes in, does not compare to previous seasons. That's just my opinion. Um, but I agree with you that I was rolling my eyes when she decides that she's going to marry Hisdar Zolarek because I was just like, really? Like, mar- like I understand that marriage is is just as powerful in this world as having dragons. And at the same time, it's like... <laughs> Who are you fooling? Like, like, what is this? How is this going to really change anything? Like, I just they I don't think they know what to do with Danny's storyline in, in this in this TV show. Like, it, it seems like each and every single season we always complain specifically about her story and everything revolves around her. Yeah, it's because they have these awesome dragons and they have this character with so much potential, um, but they need reasons for her to not just hop a boat to Westeros. Um, and so they've done at times better, at times worse of a job filling, you know, giving her things to do that allow her to not show up and intersect with the rest of the characters. Um, and and I, we, we were so excited about Tyrion and Varys going to see her. But with the development this week, you know, they lost their boat. It's going to if if Tyrion oh. goes and actually gets to the court in the next couple episodes, I'll be very very surprised. This makes it seem like it's going to be an end of the season reveal. And that is uh, after, you know, the excitement of, you know, it's seeming like they were going to be there in just a couple of weeks. That is, that is a blow for me. And, and that's, I think also part of the reason why to loop back to Sir Barristan that they had, you know, that they killed off Sir Barristan is they think they're trying to put her in a situation where she really needs advisors and that's why she's willing to take a chance on Tyrion when he shows up because she shouldn't trust him but if she doesn't have Sir Barristan and she doesn't have um the leader of the the slave rebellion and if or the the yeah the leader of the one of the main figures in the slave rebellion if she doesn't have this um new suitor should something happen which easily could and she's just down to a you know gray worm and uh Dario Naharis I could very easily see her accepting Tyrion immediately as an advisor well, I totally agree, and that's why they killed off Sir Barristan, clearly. But the problem is, we're not, or at least I'm not, I don't think you are, a big fan of Daenerys and everything that revolves around her. So when you kill off an interesting character, or one of the more interesting characters that surround her, it makes me less interested in visiting Marine. I mean, I'm sorry, and she still takes advice from every single person. Remember when I complained way back in, what was it, episode two of the season, how she was taking advice from Dario, and I was just so pissed off that the Queen of Dragons is taking advice from her lover in bed. Like, like, anyhow, I just, everything they are doing with Danny for me is just not working at all. It's never really worked 100%, but this season it's really, really falling apart in my eyes. Yeah, she needs to start listening to Miss and Die a bit more. So, like, get get a few more ladies on that yeah. small even though, council. Even though Miss and Die basically tells her you don't need to, Miss and Die's basic <laughs> advice is don't know you don't need to listen to people. Just listen to what you're to what you think the option should be. Exactly, but that's the proper advice. Like, instead of asking each and every single person what they think that she should do, she should actually make some of her own decisions. You know, there's a problem when, and I think Grey Worm's a cool dude, and I like this character, but there's a huge problem when a supporting character outshines Daenerys. Because Daenerys is the center of that storyline. When it, when we visit Marine, it all revolves around Daenerys. And when you have a side character, it's not just Grey Worm, but just so many of them that outshine her in so many ways, be it the actors are better and or the dialogue that's given to them is better and or their storylines are better and or their love interests are more interesting. There's a problem with this character, Daenerys. It's like, I don't think it's going to get resolved. And that is why I was so excited to know that Tyrion was headed to meet her because I'm like, finally, she'll have someone next to her who is amazing who's like the best actor and character in a show and to put him it's like you take your mvp and you put him in your weakest uh, spot right and so clearly that weak spot will no longer be a weak spot but now kate if you're telling me we have to wait till next season oh my god it's five more episodes of watching daenerys try to make decisions because she can't make her own decisions oh my god i would be very surprised if we saw daenerys next week 
I would imagine it's time for us to spend a little, uh, you know, more of the episode with Arya and with Cersei again. So I would not be surprised if we didn't see Daenerys next week or even the week after. What do you think? Yeah, I would be. Yeah, I would be surprised. I would expect that just given the way the show tilts from storyline to storyline, that it would be a while until we until this gets resolved. But again, I think I'm finding the journey. I'm finding the journey a bit more interesting, or at least enjoyable, than you are. Than you guys are. Yeah, well, let's jump up to you know north to the to the wall and talk a little bit about uh, uh, you know what's happening at at Castle Black. I like that we see with the Boltons that they know that that they know that Stannis is there. Um, but I wanted to get your thoughts on you know we get a little bit of you know Tar Tarly history, right? Samuel Tarly, yeah, yeah. Tarly yeah. history. We get a little bit more time uh, with Gilly. And with uh, and, and with uh, Shireen and all of them, what what did you guys think of what we saw up no- north at the wall this week? Oh. The stupid Jon Snow. What? I'm so- I'm sorry. This is a, honestly, I mean, I like Jon Snow more this season. I like the fact that he is in a pos- like putting him in a position of leadership is forcing him to think on his feet and to make decisions. So while I into- I buy the. Dis- like the decision that he makes with Tormund and that scene with Tormund is an excellent one. Like he knows this guy could kill him, but he needs him to trust him. But for him to trust, to go with Tormund away from the wall, away from the, where Sir Alistair is probably, is probably going to be ready to stage a coup the minute he leaves. Hell, hell, Ollie is probably willing to stage a coup the moment he leaves to a pal- to a set full of wildlings who are probably who are more likely to cut his throat and take the ships and already on top of him refusing the pretty sweet offer of Stannis giving him the north the whole freaking north I'm sorry Jon Snow is an idiot it ma- compl- he makes bad he makes bad decisions I completely disagree and I'm going to tell you what my second favorite moment of this episode is and it's a very quiet moment once again that revolves around Sam and Stannis, okay? So basically, they have a very short conversation. Sam is in the library. He's reading books. Stannis walks in. And what I love about this short yet incredible scene is Stannis reminds us of the White Walkers, the icy undead, and how dangerous the icy undead are to humans. And I don't think any character, apart from Sam, maybe way back in season three, has actually addressed the White Walkers. And... At least, at least in a way where it's like, yeah, by the way, we can all die because these things can kill us. At least not a leader, a leader like Stannis, who, who I believe was labeled last week the greatest military leader in all of the Seven Kingdoms. I think Roose Bolton labeled him that, right? And so here we have... Greatest military leader and grammar expert, as we learned this week. Yes. And so here we have Stannis, who actually recognizes the fact that the White Walkers are the biggest enemy. and. I like his exchange with Sam, and I like the way he tells Sam, you know, keep reading, because he wants Samwell to find a way to actually kill these White Walkers. And that is why Jon Snow makes this decision, because even though for him personally, it might not be the best decision that he can make, because there's a lot of things that can go wrong and, and bite him in the ass, it's also what he needs to do, because it's like he says... Anyone who dies at the hands of a White Walker will turn into an undead and become a part of the White Walker's army. And so it'll keep growing and growing and growing. And they need to do whatever it takes to stop these White Walkers, even if it means making a big risky move and and headed out to to go meet up with the Wildlings and trying to form some kind of alliance with them. Like, I mean, what else is Jon Snow going to do? Like, what's he going to do if he goes back to Winterfell, back to the north? Like. And like, I mean, eventually, like, he, like, you know what I mean? Like, it's not even just about him swearing an oath. It's about the fact that that is what they have to do. They have to find a way to form an alliance with as many people as they can to fight off the real danger, which is not Cersei or King's Landing and or Roose Bolton and his yeah. army. I really like that we get back to the big picture with John this week. And he, because he's one of the very, very few characters on this series that truly understands the big picture and doesn't seem to have a series of other motivations clouding that because yeah. somebody like um, somebody like Melisandre seems to understand what could be coming, but I don't know that I trust her perspective. She seems very focused in on uh, her God and her 
place in this and Stannis's place in this, as opposed to we need to stop what's coming. Yeah, but she know, but she knows Jon Snow knows nothing, so she's on the ball. Yeah, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, again, I I agree with what you're saying, Ricky. Though I also agree with what you're saying, Les. Jon Snow, you know, he's his father's son, and his father is not necessarily the the best politician or the best at decision making because he's so keyed into honor. So whether John will follow in his father's footsteps completely and end up uh, so focused on honor and doing what's right and therefore end up losing because of the machinations of others remains to be seen. But I like that we get, you know, with all the drama and all the backbiting and you know, backstabbing and everything, I like that we get some big picture here. Well, and when you say big picture, I mean, how many times have we heard the phrase winter is coming? Winter is coming. Like, when the hell is winter coming? It's been like five years now. Like, we keep on hearing these people say winter is coming. And here we have these scenes that actually focus on the fact that, yes, winter is coming and this is what it means. It's a danger to all of us. What I would love is to just see an episode of Game of Thrones where the episode just begins. Somebody wakes up, looks outside, and they're like, oh, shit, winter is here. And boom, then it just goes from there. No more buildup. It just shoots straight to it. The, the trouble is winter's like 10 years in this world. Um, so that's why winter hasn't come yet, because once it does, they're stuck with it. Um, at least that's my theory. I don't know. But yeah, that I like that they this week it's not winter's coming. It's winter's nearly upon us. So it's like even more. At least it's a step in the right direction, right? I appreciated that sense of urgency, yes. But, you know, like, Jon Snow has his, like, talk with Master Aemon, who tells Jon Snow, kill the boy, which is where the, the title of the episode comes from, you know. Unfortunately, no boys were actually killed. I'm looking at you, Ollie, in this episode. But, I mean, that's the whole the whole purpose of Jon Snow's character arc in this episode, specific, specifically for him to make his own decision, even if it might not be the best decision, because even some of the greatest rulers will make terrible decisions somewhere in their lifetime, but he's still making a decision that he knows most people are not going to be happy with. And that's what he's got to do. And so for me, like not too long ago, Kate, you were saying that you really enjoy uh, Sansa's character arc in this season, as well as Jon Snow. And I totally agree. And this is what I mean about Jon Snow. Like we actually do see this character growing and growing faster than any other character on the show right now. So I don't know. I think it gives him plenty of opportunities to flex his new power. And he's 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 unlike Danny. Unlike Danny, he's actually at least making decisions. Even if he knows people won't be happy about these decisions, he's at least doing something interesting as opposed to sleeping with some dude named Dario and asking him what he thinks she should do and not actually never actually doing anything to move the story forward. And just watching her dragon sort of fly over her and or be like chained up in the dungeon while she feeds rich people to her dragons. Like, what wow. the hell? You really hate Daenerys Targaryen. Oh my god! I the problem is I don't. I actually I like the idea of what her character stands for, and I like I actually like the actress. I just don't. Lo- I do not like what they're doing to her character. So that's why it really gets me upset. Like you know, as opposed to Theon Greyjoy, which I, I guess we should eventually talk about. I never really cared about Theon Greyjoy as a character. I'm sorry, I never did. And so despite the fact that I'm a little sort of sick and tired of watching him being tortured repeatedly over and over in each and every single episode, be it physically and or emotionally, and, you know, um, I just never really cared about this character. So to me, like, I know a lot of people are really angered when they see him on screen and what they're doing with his character. I, it doesn't affect me the same way as it does, say, what they're doing with Danny. With Theon, I'm really looking forward to the part of the story where he gets to tell Sansa that her brothers are still alive or that he doesn't know that they're dead, that he didn't kill them. Because um, cause I think I'm I'm really looking forward to her getting a win. Uh, and I, I do anticipate that that will happen at some point this season. Who knows? Maybe it won't. But that's that's what I would expect. Um, and, and having them just go full on, yep, reek theon she immediately knows who he is and all that instead of trying to like stretch it out for longer i think that was a good move uh what what do you guys think less is is theon going to come clean about not killing her brothers well i don't know how much of theon is actually left in theon at this point you know, the, the thing about theon Greyjoy slash reek is i don't think he's actually ever going to tell sansa that rykon apparently rykon's still alive we don't know we're assuming he's still alive and bran's still alive um, I don't, I don't, I mean, that for me as a, as a, as a viewer of the TV show wouldn't be an interesting and or exciting and or emotionally satisfying payoff. 
Like, it would be better if they, they actually reunite. Like, I don't know, he ends up back north or something, and she she actually sees him, and that's when she realizes that he's still alive, as opposed to being told by Reek that he might still be alive, but he's not even entirely sure. Like, I'm not sure what, I'm not sure what that actually would do to help Sansa and or move her storyline forward. Like, I don't know. Yeah, no, th- th- this episode, yeah, this episode kind of bothered me Sansa wise because it felt a lot like backsliding after Sansa has been uh, learning to sort of take control of things and to and to sort of learn to play the Boltons or at least try to play the Boltons. Whereas this episode, there was a lot of sort of looking somberly at the tower where they threw Bran from in the very first episode. And then she just has to listen to everything being said in the most uncomfortable, one of the most uncomfortable family dinners I've ever in the history of game of Thrones. Yeah. It was a little back and forth. It's like, I don't know if the writers knew what exactly they should do with her character, how, how she should react because at times it kind of felt like she was taking the little finger advice and sort of pretending she was okay with everything and everyone who surrounds her and being sort of like snarking bitchy. Like when she says, this is my home, it's not strange. The only thing that's strange is the people. But then there's moments where she actually is uh, affected and bothered by the things that are happening to her. Like when Reek comes in and starts, uh, like you said, they had that really awkward family dinner exchange and I think she starts tearing up and I'm like, well, which one is it? Are you like a strong character now? That's not going to show your your feelings that these people are actually getting under your skin and or are you not like which one is it what's exciting for me about Sansa's storyline right now is besides you know just watching her character develop the 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 potential surrounding it is really interesting to me and I also really like that she's surrounded by people who know about her family know who know things that she doesn't know and who would be willing to tell her and so if Theon, you know, if assuming he remembers, uh, you know, and depends on how how much Theon he is and how much Reek he is, but if he remembers, he could tell her that he has no reason to believe her brothers aren't alive. Brienne knows, you know, saw Arya like a month ago at this point, and Sansa has no reason to think that her sister's alive. But like, so I just, you know, we're in Winterfell. I like I like having Starks back in Winterfell or a Stark in Winterfell and. I just, I don't know, maybe I'm just being a bit of a sap, but I, I I want someone to get some, by the way, you think you're the only one left of your entire family because all of your family seem to have died horribly, but you have three siblings and they're probably all still alive. And you have a brother up at the wall, also alive and in charge. <laughs> That's right. Yes. Three siblings, technically four or maybe not, depending on which internet rumors you want to believe. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, actually, uh, sort of uh, staying in the same area, but shifting gears slightly family-wise, I actually, I really, uh, probably one of the scenes I enjoyed the most, I really enjoyed the scene of Roos and Ramsey, where Roos tells Ramsey the story of his mother. Really? I just that, yeah, I've, I've been, honestly, I've been finding that's, I mean, the, the Boltons are obviously, again, as we said earlier, being set up to be bad guys. To be like they're the they're the villains right now, but I sort of enjoyed that level of shading that they provided. It reminded me a bit of some of the scene of like a paler version of the scenes where uh, Tywin was lecturing his lectured Tyrion about how I wanted to cast you into the sea, but I didn't. I say I raised you as my own. I was just going to say that there was such a parallel between their conversation and Tywin and Tyrion way back in season three, I think it was. But again, the problem is the Boltons are not as interesting as the Lannisters. And I was talking about this last week on the podcast when I was referring to the Sand Snakes. And I was like, okay. And like Simon Howell, our guest, was complaining about like, oh, I don't really know who these characters are, et cetera, et cetera. I was like, well, you know, we're, we're midway through season five. I don't think we're actually going to get to really know who these characters are. You know, there's only seven seasons in the show and we're already midway through season five. You know, that doesn't give us much time to really explore these characters. And so we're like... I just feel like it's a little too late in the game to go into the, this backstory and 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 see Roose Bolton tell Ramsey Bolton how he was conceived and like how he decided not to kill him and so on and so forth. I was like, okay, we've seen this done before and talked about in the show, and I just don't give a shit about the Boltons. I was like, really? Yeah, we, okay, we get it. We get it. You hate Game of Thrones. We understand. No, I just uh, don't care about the Boltons. 
<laughs> well, what do what do you care about? Let's just let, let's get let's shift to a happier tone. Did there in, anything happen this episode you did care about? Yeah, well, I already mentioned my two highlights, starting with the uh, Sam and Stannis conversation, and the uh, first highlight was what was my first highlight? The best part? Oh yeah, the Tyrion and uh, Ser Jorah sequences, specifically when they were reciting the poem. But that whole sequence when they're traveling through Valeria, I thought was amazing. I do like Jon Snow's character a lot in this season. I've always been a big fan of his character, but specifically season five, they're just doing wonders with his character. I like, like my theory is that at the end of the series, I think Sansa is going to be the one that takes the Iron Throne. I think, it, you know, a lot of people think it's going to be Daenerys and, or I don't know who I think it's going to be Sansa. And I think the reason why Sansa won't ever be reunited with Jon, uh, with Jon Snow and, or, Bran or Rykon or Arya is I don't think it's going to happen until the very end of the series because I think she's she's going to have to find her own way to fight through all of the madness and find a way to outsmart the Boltons and maybe it, it will come with the help of Littlefinger but she is going to make her way to the top somehow some way and she's going to become the ruler of the Seven Kingdoms I think so I like what they're doing with Sansa Stark and I wasn't a big fan of Sansa Stark in the first like two maybe three seasons of the show just because her character bugged me, not specifically because of writing or anything. Um, I do not like the Danny scenes. <laughs> Completely. I do like the dragons in this episode, but don't like the Danny scenes. I like Brienne in this, in this season, especially with Pod. We don't get much of Brienne and Pod in this episode, but we get a bit of her. And um, yeah, I don't like the Boltons. I just don't find they're as interesting as the Lannisters. And that's about it. Like, what else is there to talk about in this episode? That's the rundown. Um, yeah, this, yeah. Again, I said I said earlier that I didn't like this episode as much as I've been liking the last four episode, the last few episodes of this season. Which, again, I've enjoyed a lot more than you have, Ricky. Uh, but and but I'm again, I'm fully willing to chalk it up to the fact that I that I know nothing at this point, and that's a little more. And there's some excitement to that, which balances it out. But yeah, this whole episode felt very much like one of those mid-season placeholder episodes you get where people are gradually shifting into different positions. So there's a lot of table setting at Winterfell. You finally put Stannis on finally put Stannis on the road. Danny finally makes a decision, yes, I'll open the fighting pits. And you push Jorah and Tyrion into more of a, a more of a uneasy alliance as opposed to captor and captive. So there were things in this episode that I think needed to happen for the overall arc of the show, but I, I will definitely agree that there it didn't really feel like there was a lot of import that happened this well, episode. And the thing is, you just said something, and I think uh, we should just repeat one more time: is that you are a book reader, so for the first like four seasons, you pretty you pretty much knew the events of what would happen, although they did make some changes. Whereas this season, from my understanding, everything's changed. Um, that, has, that's has, right. Yeah, and as someone who hasn't read the book, watching those first four seasons and thinking back on the Red Wedding, the Purple Wedding, the last episode of season four, like there's so many moments that I, in my opinion, outshine anything that's happened in the first five episodes of this season so far. And again, I said this on the very first podcast of season five. I said that I was worried I wouldn't like season five as much as previous seasons for one simple fact, and that is because a lot of my favorite characters are dead. And or my favorite groupings, my favorite pairings have been separated. You know, for example, Varys and Tyrion was the best pairing we've had all season and they were separated last week. <laughs> like, I'm like, ah! Eh, I'm reserving judgment until we get more Bron Jamie scenes. Right, and, and, and they were not in this episode. The, the they were not. Were yeah, episode. again, the, and that was the other problem that I had with this episode. There was a dearth of the things that I really like. There was no Arya in the House of Black and White. There was no Bronn and Jamie. Hell, there was none. There was nothing in King's Landing, so we got no Marjorie Cersei sniping and no Jonathan Price, who's been excellent. Yeah, I mean, and the last thing I'm going to say is, like, you know, I was talking to Simon about this, and... You know, you have this this show, which is only 10 episodes, about 48 minutes each episode. And technically, that's that's a lot. But again, it's not when you look at the books and how dense they are and how many characters are in the books and how many characters are not even in the actual TV show. And so when you have characters like Arya, who we haven't seen in like three episodes, I think, 
um, and Hodor and all of these great characters and they're not present, but all of a sudden we're going to focus on the Boltons and have like a backstory of why he decided to save Ramsey when he was a baby, et cetera, et cetera. I'm like, you could have used that screen time for characters I actually care about. And so that, to me, that is the difference between season five and the first four seasons. Do I like Game of Thrones still? Yes. Um, the, but it's just my least favorite season. That's all. Yeah, I, I don't know. Honestly, I think part of the reason why I've been enjoying this season is it's cuts. It has cut some of the fat out that I did not care about. Like, really, Hodor aside, I don't care about Brandon Ricken going across on the other side of the world. I really just don't. And so, not having to devote screen time to them has been a perk in my book. And you see, I do. I actually like those two characters, and I like what we got from those two characters in previous season. My What I think is I think they decided not to include those two characters in season five because I think a lot of brands visions indicate or hint what's going to come at the end of the series. And so when you see it visually, it could be it it could sort of spoil things ahead of time. I could be wrong. But so so Brand Stark is basically the worst of the Internet spoiler trolls. Well, I mean, remember when we had that two minute sequence and where he had a vision of what would happen in the future way back in i think it was like season four early season four uh no i do not i mean i remember i remember danny's journey through the house through the warlock residence where she saw the iron throne in snow but i don't remember that Okay. Well, anyways, there was there was a sequence. He had a vision. Yeah. I, I know. Well, again, that that's just that's just sort of the problem. One of the problems Game of Thrones has always had the fact that there's just there's a huge amount going on in this show, and so many characters who they have to devote time to, and so many plots that they have to set in motion. And again, this one is just pushing a lot of things along. And I don't know. I I have more faith in them for the for the back half because we are now halfway through the season. But I have more. But history has taught me that when you get to the back half of the Game of Thrones season, that's when a lot of stuff starts happening. So I'm I'm optim I'm very optimistic. This episode was just a little bit of a letdown. And I'm going to jump in and say I'm very glad we didn't see any Cersei this week. I'm very glad we didn't see Arya this week. And I'm glad even that we didn't see Bronn and Jamie. I think it's good to get a little time off from them. The one I, ones I missed the most were Bronn and Jamie. But we know what Arya's doing. We don't need to see it. She's being trained at the Houses of Black and White. And we will see her next week, I'm sure. And we don't need to just, you know, because when we have characters establishing themselves or starting to learn a new skill. Like we don't need to see Brienne training pod, how to fight to know that she's doing it. We'll get a one more scene of that maybe. And then we'll see pod be a badass fencer, you know, like when we have characters who are in a bit of a holding pattern, like Cersei is in, in King's landing, like Arya is. And like, even until they get somewhere like Jamie and Braun are, you know, they're still they're on the road or they're, they've been captured and they're on the road. Uh, I, I really am fine not seeing them so frequently. And uh, I think that the focus of the season and their willingness to do that has been a benefit to it. So whether or not that ends up paying off in the long run over the course of the entire season remains to be seen. But for now I'm, I'm, I'm okay with season five. Yeah. But here's the thing is I never said, I think that we should have seen them in this no, episode. I'm not saying okay, you, no. I'm saying in general, in general that's, that's I, I how agree. I feel. And I've said this in the past two weeks that I like the fact that they focus on specific characters instead of everyone all at once um it's just that the thing is when it comes to a show like game of thrones and order walking dead as you clearly know okay when you come on a podcast and you start being somewhat critical and or say something like i don't like this episode or season as much as previous seasons people get really offended and upset and i'm not saying i don't like it i do like it i love this show i'm just saying i like it less than yeah. previous it's seasons okay. and other episodes and and the thing is uh, you know, I think we have to sort of point out things that we like less or dislike. And in my case, the whole Daenerys storyline, I don't like it. Sorry. Um, but yeah, otherwise we would just sit here and like praise the show and it'd be kind of boring, I think. Be super boring. No, and yeah, it's okay. We just know that your history's worst monster, Ricky. That is totally fine. Wait, wait, uh, it's, it, it's okay. We know that you're the Lou Avery of Game of Thrones fans. It's okay. <laughs> hey, man, I like mean. characters like Ollie and all these like characters that no one else likes, like Jon Snow. And maybe maybe that's the thing. Maybe I like the characters that people seem to not really like, um, like Bran. Um, I don't know. Uh, well, you're you're sticking up for the underdog. It's a good thing. Yes, absolutely. Well, let's leave it off there because I feel like we're. Oh, uh, I have. Ex- I just have a uh, one closing question to go for it. Close this off. So, what was the be- what uh, Sunday night? What was the best grammar correction? Who had the best grammar correction? Don Draper or Stannis Baratheon? 
Uh, I have to give it uh, to to Don because of the context, but I do enjoy uh, a little bit of grammar Nazism on uh, on TV. Uh, what did you think, Ricky? I do not watch Mad Men. Oh, well, uh, then I will set it as a tie because I got to give it to Stannis because Stan- I, it just goes to the fact that I mean, say what you will about season five, and we've said a lot about season five, but season five has been doing, in my mind, good work with Stannis in the previous most stream, and I like the fact that he's just a little pedantic enough to murmur that under his breath, and then Davos asks him about, it. he's like, oh. Never mind. <laughs> I just it, it was a very human moment for him, and he's had a lot of more human moments. And I'm hopeful that we're going to get to see. I hopeful we get to even even though he's leaving the wall, that we're going to get more time with him heading down. Stannis. Stannis rocks the season. I oh, love he's Stannis. awesome. Yeah, and well, yeah, and, and I mean, you, you praised it before, Ben, but I don't think I actually did offer it enough praise. But yeah, the scene with him and Samuel Tarly, particularly when he's invoking Tarly's name, and he's like, yeah. Your father was the only man to beat my brother. You get you get respect by mitosis for that. Well, let's leave it off there. Um, it, a lot of you know, a lot of interesting conversation. I look forward to hearing what our listeners think about this episode. Um, feel free to to reach out to us. You can find Ricky and myself, of course, at Sound on Site. Les, where can our writer, where can our listeners find you and your work online? Uh, you can find me obviously on Twitter at less is more nine zero nine letter O nine. And you can find my writing at the AV club. I'm currently re- where I'm currently reviewing grim and Silicon Valley. And starting this week on sound on site, I'll be reviewing wayward pines. Very exciting. And Ricky, what's going on at sound on site this week? This week, we have some TV articles going up. We have some greatest finales, series finales that seems to resurrected a bit. We had Elena write up Jane the Virgin, which had its as we're recording, it's had its uh, se- season finale tonight. Uh, anything else we should mention? Um, I don't know. Simon and I are recording our last four podcasts over uh, the last four of our movie podcasts. That is, and that'll bring us to five hundred episodes, and then we're officially going to officially end the show. Woohoo! Uh, woohoo slash awe. <laughs> yeah. Well, that'll certainly be fun to listen to, and everyone should go to Sound on Site to check that out. You can also uh, follow us on Twitter, uh, and, and on, you can like us on Facebook. I On Twitter, I'm at the Televerse. Uh, Ricky? Uh, sound on Site on Twitter. And, uh, of course, we also are up in iTunes. We would appreciate a rating or review there. It does help other people find the show. Uh, so our, our Sound on Site TV podcast uh feed with all of our you know Hannibal and Game of Thrones and Walking Dead and all of that you guys can can leave us a rating review there we would appreciate it but for now let's 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 cut off the podcast for this week we'll be back next week to talk about season five episode six unbowed unbent unbroken also written by Brian Cogman and also directed by Jeremy Pedesma so we'll see who all we're we're checking with next week but it certainly should be a lot of fun Les thank you again for coming on to join us always a pleasure Kate Ricky thanks for having me And thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week to talk about Episode 6. I know where we are. You're taking us through Valyria. I am. You've sailed this route before? No. You're going to bring Daenerys a souvenir from her ancestral homeland in case I'm not enough? I think you'll be plenty. You know what they say. The doom still rules, Valyria. What about the demons and the flames? Aren't you afraid of the doom? No. The pirates are. The smoking sea. How many centuries before we learn how to build cities like this again? For thousands of years, the Valyrians were... The best in the world at almost everything. And then? And then they weren't. And then they weren't. They held each other close and turned their backs upon the end. The hills that split asunder and the black that ate the skies. The flames that shot so high and hot that even dragons burned would never be the final sights that fell upon their eyes. Fly upon a wall, the waves, the sea wind, whipped and churned. A city of a thousand years, and all that men had learned, 
The doom consumed it all alike. And neither of them turned. I would clap. I suppose this is it then. This is what remains. Yeah. <laughs>